0: Well in life we all have choices. We have choices, we have choices that are Podcast. easy, we some choices that are minor, and some follow choices Jesus. that are extremely significant. If you e- would like to connect with us more, please visit us at Central Central morning, You H-J. made a choice H-J. what you were going to eat, eat for breakfast. You made a choice this morning of what you were going to wear to church, uh, unless you're married of course, and then you don't always get to make all those choices. But but we all have choices, significant choices, minor choices, and major choices. You get to choose where you're going to to live. And if you have a family, that choice not only impacts you, but it impacts those you love the most. You get to choose where you're going to work and how you're going to conduct your life. And it's been said that we all make our choices, and then those choices make us. And if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Romans. We find ourselves in this study of the book of Romans. If you're new, we've been uh, in this study for several weeks. We've got several more weeks to go, but we're in chapter 10 of Romans. And today we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. And, and as we study this, Paul's going to point out the ultimate decision, the supreme decision decision, the most important choice that anyone in the history of the world could ever make. In Romans 10, Paul is unpacking the simplicity of salvation, the simplicity of salvation. Now, that being said, salvation is very simple to receive. However, it is very complex. I mean, we think on God's part, it's simple for you and me, but on God's part, extremely complex. You think about the complexity of saving mankind. You think about the complexity of transforming sinners into saints. You think about the complexity of taking someone living in darkness and allowing them to now live in light. You take someone, the complexity of taking someone who's once an enemy of God and now making them a child of God. How do you do that? Where do you begin with that? It's very complex on God's part, but as we've been learning from Romans chapter 10, it's very simple on your part. Very simple. On my part, God did not say you have to climb the highest mountain in order to experience salvation. He could have. He's God. It's his prerogative. He could have done that. He could have said, hey, every year on an annual basis, you have to climb Mount Everest with no shoes on and then take a selfie at the top if you want to inherit the kingdom of God. He could have said that. He could have said you have to swim the de- deepest ocean. He could have said you have to walk ac- across the hottest desert on an annual basis. He could have said any number of things. But he made it very, very simple. Here's what we looked at last time Romans 10 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you serious? Of all things that you could have done, of all the prerequisites, of all the things that you could have said, hey, if you want to know God, like the creator of the universe, you can know him. Well, how do I do that? What do I have to do? Pretty simple. Pretty. He made it very attainable. For some of you here, you, you've, you've never made that choice. Maybe you've, you've been in services, maybe you've heard the gospel a hundred different times. And you just never decided, you never made the choice, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life, the leader, the supreme authority in my life. You've never done that. Well, today is your day. Or maybe you're here in the room or perhaps you're online watching this uh, somewhere else. But, but today is your day and you can know God. And once you know God, then you can begin to grow in freedom. And then you're going to discover he created you on purpose. Then you discover that purpose leads you to, to make a difference in our world. And that's our whole hope here at Central. And that's a decision that you never regret. Here's what Romans 10, 11 says. As scripture assures us that no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, like you go all in with God, you make him the ultimate authority in your life, you make him the Lord of your life, you'll never regret it, the Bible says. And here's the verse we left off last time, verse 13. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so with that as a backdrop, now we're going to pick up where we are going to be studying today. If it really is that simple, then Paul is going to begin to address some questions. If it's really that simple, then why aren't more people saved? Why isn't that loved one saved? Uh, maybe that lives under your roof. Why aren't they experiencing salvation? What about uh, your kids, your grandkids? What about that coworker? What about that, that family member that lives in another state? Why aren't they experiencing salvation? And he's going to talk about the nation of Israel as a whole. Why aren't they experiencing salvation? salvation. And so if you would, would you stand to your feet with me as we read uh, God's word, the passage we're going to study today. It's Romans 10 uh, verses 14 through 21. We're going to read it and then we'll begin to unpack it verse by verse. Uh, there's going to be some red letter words on the screen. Whenever we get to those red letter words, if you could really loud, really proud, read those out loud with me. And here's, here's what the word of God says. It says, how then can they call on him who they have not believed? And how can they believe in him who they've not and how can they hear unless someone, preach. yeah, someone's got to be preaching to them. And so verse 15, and how can they preach unless they are, Set. as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who, preach the good news. but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have, who has believed what he has heard from us? For faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not Indeed they have, for their voice goes out into all the earth and the words into the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not? Understand. Moses says, I will make them jealous of those who are not a nation. Of a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Isaiah is so bold to say that I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Father, we thank you for your word, that, God, it is alive and active, that, God, there's power uh, whenever we we, we begin to break down uh, your your truth, the, the word of God. And so, God, I thank you for that. And I pray, Jesus, that today you would speak to people here, that you'd speak to those online, those listening to this podcast at a later date, that, God, you would minister to every individual here in the room at the point of need, that, God, you would speak to us in ways that we are looking for you to speak in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate, but God, you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, before you have a seat, why don't you give someone a high five and say you have the ultimate choice. You have the ultimate, ultimate choice. Hey. Thanks. All right. You have the ultimate choice, and so so again, Paul's addressing. Hey, why why are not more people saved? why why is Israel not saved? why are our family members people that we, we love and 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 you know they they want to we want them to know God why why are they not and here's the first observation that Paul, Paul's going to make. If you're taking notes, this is where they begin. It says they they chose not to obey the gospel. They chose not to obey the gospel. People have to choose to obey the gospel, and again, it is a choice. It's not enough to say, I cognitively agree with that. It's not enough to say, I'm not against that. It's not enough to say, I really like Juan and the worship team. Wow, aren't they amazing? I really like this church or I really like that church. It's not enough. All those things are wonderful, but it, it won't lead to this, this salvation experience. It's not enough to to do any of those things, if we're going to experience salvation. And here's where Paul begins, uh, again, where we left off last week, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but it requires calling on the name of of the Lord. And if that's true, if it's that easy, then why aren't more people calling on the name of the Lord? And so Paul begins this section by asking some rhetorical questions. Here's what he says at the beginning of verse 14. He says, how can they call on him who they've not believed? And so if they don't believe in someone, then, then they're not going to talk to them. I mean, if you don't believe in someone, you do talk to them, then they have special places like that uh, with padded rooms for, for folks like that. Uh, and then he says this, just following this train of logic, he says, how then can they call on him who, who they've not believed? And then, then how can they believe in him who they've, they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And so he just asks these requ- Historical questions that it's impossible to do. And so a good question is, well who are those who are sent to to preach? And we could look at really two different groups, two different distinct groups with two different uh, distinct calls. Uh, if you're taking notes, this is the first one, roles, there's roles within the church. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. 11 through 12, he says it was uh, he who gave. So God who gave some to be apostles. Apostles literally means sent ones. Uh, others to be prophets, to speak on God's behalf. Others evangelists with this gift of, of extending the invitation and, and seeing a harvest of people come to, to know God. And others to be, be pastors and teachers. And these are known as the fivefold ministry gifts. And all of them have their purpose. And what's the purpose? Here it is in verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. All those roles exist in the church to build the church, to strengthen the church. But those are not, uh, the, those, the, the, those who are called to preach are not limited to those five. Uh, the second one is this, and this is for all of us everyone within the church is sent. Everyone within the church is called to preach the gospel. Sent ones are not limited to the five, just as Jesus was sent on message with the gospel, Uh, we all are are sent. We're heralds of the gospels, communicators of the gospel. Uh, John 20, verse 21 says this, is Jesus speaking. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. God sent Jesus with a purpose, with a mission, with a message. And Jesus says, in the same way, just as I have been sent, you are sent on purpose, on mission, with a message. In Matthew 28, it's often referred to as the great commission. And a lot of times we can uh, think of that as just being uh, the disciples or just being the apostles. But uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that Jesus appeared to, uh, after his resurrection. So he was crucified, killed, and then raised to new life. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And many people believe it's this great commissioning moment where he appeared to them at this, this one time. And what did he say? He says this in uh, chapter 8, verse 19. He says, therefore go. And anytime you see the word therefore, you got to go back and see what's therefore. Right before that, he says this, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So he's saying, hey, I I am the ultimate authority. Like like I do have supreme power. I do have the commissioning right. And and, and therefore, I do have the authority to, to send you. And if you go in my authority, like I'm going to be with you, as we're going to see in a moment. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And here's what you do, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And as you go on that mission, as you live out that commission, Jesus says this, I'll be with you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And as you go as a sent one, you you go with the authority under the banner of Jesus. Go baptizing them, teaching them to obey and have confidence that he's with you in that that call. 1 Peter 3.15 puts it this way. He says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if anyone asks you about the hope you have as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. I mean, it's not just limited to the apostles. It's not just limited to the missionaries. It's not just limited to pastors or teachers. It's, it's all of us to share the hope that we have. And here would be a, a helpful exercise. Uh, it's been said that it's easy to, to hit a fastball that you can see coming. And, and here's a fastball that's going to be coming your way. Some people are going to observe your life and ask you, why do you go to church? Well, why, do you, why do you give financially? Why do you invest your time serving the hurting in our city? Why do you live the way that you live? And a good, good question for you to wrestle to the ground now is, are you ready to explain it to them? A good exercise this week would just be to write that down. Here's why I believe in Jesus. Here's the hope, the reason for the hope that I have in Christ. So whenever that fastball comes down the middle of the plate, you can knock it out of the, knock it out of the park. Here's what Paul says in verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's you and he's not talking about your 10 toes and it would not be a blessing to anyone if i put my feet on the screen that's not what he's that's not what he's talking about here. He's quoting Isaiah 52, and in the context of Isaiah 52, he's talking about the nation of Israel as they've been held in captivity in Assyria, and they've been held in captivity in Babylonia, and he says, he says, now there's going to be heralds, there's going to be messengers, there's going to be people communicating that, hey, God's people have been set free. They're no longer slaves. They're walking in freedom. You're free to go home. You're free to go back to your homeland. You're free to worship God as he created you to, and it's good news, and the good news is so So great that even their dirty, nasty feet are beautiful as they carry that message. Listen, whenever you're telling someone the good news, you're telling them they can be set free. You're telling them they can experience liberty that they've never known before. You're telling them that they can be set free from a life headed to destruction and eternal damnation, that they can be set free from a life separated from God. And they can not only be, uh, become not only a friend of God, they can become a child of God. You can know a time and a season of God's favor is what you're telling them whenever you share the good news. And God has entrusted you to be a herald, to be a communicator, to be a dispenser of hope, to bring that message. Look at verse 17. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I bring this up at this point because it's very interesting. It's not about your ability or my ability to to articulate clearly, although we should always strive to be better, but, but it's, it's not so much about the communicator as it is what you are communicating. It's not so much about the herald that, that, that carries the message. It's the message itself that has the power. Paul says faith, saving faith, comes from hearing. And the only way that happens is, is through hearing the words of Christ. And a lot of people would say, well, I'm not very articulate. I'm kind of shy. I'm not sure I have all the answers. And praise God, none of that's a prerequisite for you to fulfill what God's asking you to do. We need to realize that it's not our ability to communicate, but rather it's what we're communicating that holds all the power. In other words, just tell them about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them how he's been faithful to you, even in the seasons of your unfaithfulness, how he remained faithful. Tell him how how, how you came to faith. Let let them know. You don't have to quote quote every scripture. You don't have to have all, all the answers. Just tell them what Jesus has done in your life. That is the key. You have to tell them, though. Because if they don't hear the message, faith can't be birthed. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. But but listen, there's power. There's tenant power in the name of Jesus. Proverbs says this, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. Paul said this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We will we'll bow before him to the glory of God the Father. There's power in the name of Jesus. So I'm just saying, tell him your story. Tell him, tell him about Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. There's supernatural power at work when you do uh, just, uh, maybe a soapbox moment for me, but there's this old quote. Uh, it was really popular a few years ago. So if you have it in your home or your office, I apologize. Uh, but it was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, Although there's no evidence of that, it's just, uh, it's just really to, uh, I think, give more credibility to the quote, which I don't necessarily think he actually said, but, but here's the quote. You probably heard it. It says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. I understand the sentiment of it. Like, I understand what that means. Like, live a life that people say, wow, that's, they really love God. Um, but, but just for a disclaimer, it's impossible to preach the gospel without words. Part of communicating the gospel is that you articulate it in words. And again, it's impossible to have saving faith unless you use your words to articulate what God has done. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of, of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. That's why Paul said in, in Romans 1, 16 through 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone, everyone who would believe. And again, so if that's true, then why aren't more people saved? And that's your next fill in the blank. Why aren't, why aren't more people saved if that is true? If they just hear the gospel, then, then, then why, aren't, why aren't more people saved? Here's what he says in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So just because they heard the gospel, they didn't didn't obey the gospel. Whenever someone hears the gospel, they have a choice. They can either obey the gospel by making Jesus the Lord of their life, like submitting to his authority, or not. And Jesus said this in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I say? Like it just proves that he's not really the Lord or the leader of, of our lives whenever we We do that. Remember what the prerequisites of salvation are. We talked about this last time. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that's just not a cognitive decision, although it's part of that. But to make Jesus the Lord of your life is to say, God, here's the keys you drive. God, I've been sitting on the throne of my heart, and I'm going to put you on the throne. Like, God, I've been the one calling the shots, and this is my moment of surrender. I'm going to let you call the shots from here on out. It's making Jesus the, the, the Lord of our life and then believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. So Paul says, but it's not because they, they haven't heard, it's, it's because they, they didn't obey the gospel. He says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard? From us. So again, everyone has a choice and it's the greatest choice. It's the supreme choice. There are, a, a, there's a major difference in simply believing something to be true and believing it to a degree that you're willing to commit your life to that truth. Big difference. That's why James says this in James two nineteen through 20. He says, you say you have faith for you believe there is one God. And he says, good for you. It's almost like snarky, like James, really? You're coming in hot. Um, says, so you say you have faith, you believe in one God, oh, good for you. He says, even demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. So what's the difference? Like, demons believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, but the major difference is they don't submit to him like he's Lord. They submit to another authority. They let another authority call the shots. And James goes on to say, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without works is dead? In other words, faith, whenever we put our faith in Jesus, we surrender our, our, the, the keys of our life to him. Let him call the shots, and that's going to be evidenced by the way we conduct our lives. Now, we're not saved by what we do, but what we do does point to where our allegiance lies. And so if Jesus is Lord, whatever he asks, even the stuff I don't like, and he, let me just be very honest, I know I'm a pastor, but he asked me to do some stuff I don't like. Uh, I don't always enjoy it. Uh, but because he's the Lord, I say, okay, God, I guess we'll do it. We'll do it your way, not not my way. And if he and I don't do that perfectly. That's why we say here every week, we're imperfect people in progress. So full disclaimer, I blow it a lot. Uh, you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She can give you examples from today, probably. But the general direction of my life is, Lord, I just want to please you. I I want I want to do things your way. And everyone has that choice to make. So back to Romans. Romans 10, 16 through 17 says this, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed uh, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So maybe the issue isn't that they, they haven't heard the gospel. Uh, Paul, Paul says, well, well maybe, maybe that is the issue. Maybe they haven't heard. Maybe that's the issue. That's why they're not saved. they haven't heard. Here's what he says in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice goes out to the whole earth, their words to the ends of the world. And he's quoting uh, Psalm 19 there. And Psalm 19 is all about God's revelation to mankind. And he talks about God's revelation to mankind really in two ways. One is natural revelation. And so whenever you see the stars uh, in predictable Constellations, you see the moon in predictable uh, um, rotation in typical in, 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 in very predictable manners. Like you know where the the moon's the phase of the moon is going to be tomorrow and, and next week and even a month from now. It's very predictable. There's some a created design to it. Uh, The sun is going to rise at a very predictable time tomorrow, all pointing to this intelligent creator behind creation. He says, says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day. They pour forth speech night after night. They display knowledge. He's saying, Hey, Hey, there's the words have gone out to the ends of the earth. So, so everyone sees this, It's general revelation that's seen in creation, but not only that, they have supernatural means of revelation being the, the word of God. God speaks to us through the word of God, and certainly the nation of Israel was to called to steward that, and now we, we have that. I mean, you have the word of God in your pocket. You could get on ChatGPT and ask, how can I be saved? It'll spit out a wonderful answer to you today. You could Google that. I mean, the word of God's all around us, and we talked about that that last time. So, so have they heard? He says, no, for sure. They've, they've heard. And so he asked another question. Well, maybe they didn't understand. In verse 19 through 20, he says, but I asked, did Israel not understand? And to answer that question, he quotes Deuteronomy 32 and then he quotes Isaiah 56. And for us, if we just read this at glance, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But if you are a Jewish, this would be very significant to you. Because Paul's basically calling the law and the prophets as a witness against them. There's every, every uh, matter must be established by two or three witnesses. And so he pulls from the law of Moses and then Isaiah, perhaps the greatest prophet. And he says, hey, both of these spoke about Jesus. Both of these pointed to the Messiah. Both of these, it's not that you haven't understood. Like they would be able to, a lot of Jewish people would be able to quote the whole Old Testament. So it's not that they didn't, they didn't hear it. It's not that they didn't understand it. Uh, He says, he he says this, he says, um, uh, I lost my place here. Here it is. Um, But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Uh, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that Israel rejected the gospel. Did they hear the gospel? Yes. Did they understand the gospel? Yes. I mean, the disciples were Jewish. Paul was Jewish. And someday uh, they will be saved. But for this time, what, what's happening is Israel as a nation has said, said no, we're, we're not interested. And so what does God do with that? God, knowing how we're wired, he uses a little bit of of psychology here, apparently. And so uh, the way this works, I, I've seen this played out with my kids primarily uh, and my, my, my parents, their grandparents. Uh, I, as a parent, maybe don't have the patience to try this tactic as much. Uh, but I've seen this play out with my mom. Here's what happens. Uh, my middle son uh, is, is stubborn like his dad. And so uh, if he didn't get his way, sometimes he would dig in his heels and be like, well, I'm not. That's fine. I'm just not playing. And he'd be over here pouting. Right. And I've seen this with my mom. She, she would say, well, OK, like she doesn't accommodate him. She doesn't appease him. She doesn't say, well, here, let me give you what you want. So you'll reengage. She says, OK, well, if you don't want to engage, if you want to you want to pout, she turns from him and she begins to have a wonderful time with the other two grandkids and build stuff and play, and they're laughing and joking. And then all of a sudden, this one who was digging his heels comes around and says, well, maybe I want to play too, grandma, you know, and, and pulls them back in. And that's ex- essentially what, what, what God is doing here. Look at it. Uh, it, it, it we just saw it here. So what, did they not understand? Did they not understand? No, no, they did. Here's what he said. He said, I, I'll, I'll make you a nation who's, who's not a nation. I'll, I'll, I'll turn from you to, to pull you pull you back in. And what Paul's going to say in the end of Romans 11 is like, can you imagine the, the, the wisdom of God here? Like not just to save a chosen people, not just to save Israel, but to open the door for salvation for, for all of us. And Paul closes that section, Romans 11, 33 through 36. He says, just bust into like praise moment of, of God's Divine plan. He says, Oh, the depth and the riches of wisdom of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's like, Wow, God, you go. And so, why aren't people saved? Number one, they choose not to obey the gospel, is the first reason. But then Paul offers a second reason, and this is the last. Last point here, they chose not to open their hearts to a gracious God. They choose not to open their hearts to a gracious God. Romans 10, 21 says this, but of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the ultimate demonstration of grace on God's part. Uh, often we think of our actions and attitudes towards people, and sometimes we can project those onto God. And, and us being fallen people, broken people by sin, uh, we misinterpret how God might respond in any given scenario. We, we confuse our brokenness with God's perfection. For example, if you've ever tried to, someone's hurt you, someone's offended you, and you've tried to forgive them, and you try to re-engage with them and you just, maybe you shoot them a text. Hey, I hope you're doing well, or hey, happy birthday. And they don't respond. Well, if you're like me, you say, well, hey, if you don't want to interact, I won't interact. That's fine. Like I'll just, I'll just go about my life, like have a good one. But God's not like that. This is what real love of God looks like. He says, Okay, you're not interested. In fact, you're disobedient. Okay, you're contrary. And just meaning like you're actually doing the opposite of what I want. You're deliberately opposing me. I mean, you know the truth and you ran the opposite direction. You heard and you said, I'm not, not going that way. I'm not interested. You understood the gospel and yet you're contrary to it. Yet you're opposing me. And what does God do with someone like that? What does God do with a nation of people like that? Look at it. He says, all day long, I've held out my hands. It's still this posture of invitation. I'm willing if you're willing. I'm game if you're game. I'm choosing you if you want to choose me. Welcome, welcome home. You're not too far gone to still be embraced. You're not too damaged to still be used. You're not too dirty to be restored. You're not too broken to be healed. You're not forgotten. You're not what others have said you are. You're not what you yourself have said you are. I'm still available if you would make the ultimate decision. And he's so gracious. He leaves the decision up to you. He leaves the decision up to me. He leaves leaves the decision to those who are still disobedient, who are still contrary, And he's willing to welcome all of us home. And not only that, he's working in the lives of every single individual. He's orchestrating their steps. He's providentially leading you, leading those around you to draw them into a relationship with himself. He's that wise, he's that kind, he's that good. For those of you here in the room, you thought maybe you just came because you were invited or maybe you came for a variety of other reasons or maybe you're watching online and you're like, well, I just stumbled upon this, this link and that's, that's why I'm here. And those would be very natural ways to view it. But there is also a supernatural means that has landed you here so that you could be faced once again to make an ultimate decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? And again, he's holding out his hand saying, hey, if you would just respond, I'd welcome you home. I would embrace you as my own. I would take you out of darkness that you may be walking in and bring you into light. He's willing and able to set you free. And so the question for all of us is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And that choice, your response, is one that only you can make. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love,